getting out of your own head and understanding your client, because they are a client, they're not a vendor. If you are a property investor, that person you're talking to is a client. What's their problem? What do you have that solves the problem? How much is it gonna cost them? And at the end of the day, although they're the seller, they're buying something from you and they're buying your solution or not. When your solution solves their pain or creates a route to their pleasure, they will buy from you, but to buy from you, you need them emotionally invested. Yeah, I, I come from a normal mining family. We get paid weekly, you know, sometimes at the end of the week as a child, mum wouldn't have enough money till payday. So maybe that helps me understand the sellers that I'm speaking to. What it usually means is when they've got a certain difficulty or a pain, that pain can be keeping them up at night. Tracy, first of all, thank you so much for, for being here. People talk about creative strategies, doing things a little bit outside the box and one of the strategies being lease options and uh, people sometimes struggle getting those kind of deals done. You did 13 of those in, in less than a year. I did. Tell me a little bit more about that. So that was my first year in property and it's a, I think the biggest part is it's a mindset shift. Um, I did, I'd been in properties in 2007, accidental landlord buying one for my parents to live in. Um, and then in 2010, after I got made redundant, I did a property education like a lot of people do. For four months, I didn't do any of the actions they were giving me. And then suddenly in January 2011, it's like, mm, this is now, I don't know if I can swear on your past podcast, but my phrase is it's shit or bust. Mm. Okay. And the first thing was, was to follow that what I was being taught. So one of the first things I did is put a goldmine ad out, which back then in 2011, you know, they worked quite well in the free papers. Now that'd be the sort of stuff you put on social media. So with a goldmine ad you are referring to is a specific location, advertising a specific location. Yeah, advertising a specific location, one free, free press, box ad. It cost me, it used to cost me about 60 quid uh, a week to put this ad in. Um, and it was quite interesting because the mindset shift was to stop looking at what I wanted and put myself in the mind of the person with the problem. Yes. What was the headline that was gonna attract them to that ad? What could I do to make my ad stand out? And again, all of this is relevant to social media today. And then it was, what are their problems? If they read the headline, they're then gonna look at the problems I'd listed and they, res they will resonate. If you're in the mind of your client, they will resonate. Next is easy. This is how we solve your problem and here's how to get in touch. So call to action. So I followed all the things I'd been taught. I looked at the fact that a lot of the other box ads were black and white. So I did mine two color, put a bright orange in it. I even tried putting the ad upside down on purpose so that people would go, oh, there's an error. Anything to make it stand out. And I started getting maybe one or two calls a week. Um, you know, I was still going through estate agents looking for deals, but I was getting one or two calls a week from really motivated sellers. You know, when you've got an ad that's highlighting people's problems that need to sell rather than want to sell, your calls are often motivated sellers. I used to get the odd person wanting me to get out of, you know, helping them get out of debt. So I knew that we needed to tweak it. Uh, and then in April 2011, we had something called the Royal Wedding. Mm. Yeah, so William and Kate get married and the paper phoned me up 
and literally said, uh, we're assuming you want to cancel your ad this week. And I went, why would I want to do that? Well, everybody else is. I said, well, no. If everybody else is, I might be the only the one. one <laughs> Everybody's on a bank holiday. Anybody with a problem is going to be looking at that paper. Let's keep it going. So they actually offered me for the same price I always paid, which was a one-eighth box ad. They offered me a half-page spread, including a background story on how I was helping people um, effectively get out of financial difficulty by solving their mortgage problems, which... 2010, two years after the crash, 2011, people were still struggling with their mortgages. And that weekend saw a massive shift to the point where I was getting on average six calls a week. Wow. So I was following them up to the point where I remember going out for a whole week with 40 viewings, some my own from the ads, some that I filled in with estate agents. So the mindset shift was I was doing what other people wouldn't and also having that shift in mindset of, you know, going and viewing one property a week, I might get one deal a year. Yes. Go and view 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 properties a month, I'm going to get way more. Upshot was in that 2011 period, I got 13 deals. Yes. Most of them were lease options. I think all but two were options. Right. Uh, I went in with two potentially being options, but option wasn't a solution for those. Yes. So before we talk about the conversation with the owners and uh, how they uh, would agree to do a deal like that, we mentioned a number of things I want to I want to touch on. So we talked about motivated sellers resolving somebody's problem. So what kind of problems is it that somebody might be having that would make them motivated enough to respond to an advert like that? Well, um, somewhere, and we're going back to those times, you know, with the with the current state of the the market, which I think is just revaluing. It's not decreasing, it's revaluing to where it should be. But we are coming back into a time where those motivated sellers are coming back with the same problems. So financial difficulties, maybe they can't pay their mortgage, maybe they've got into arrears. The bank might already be sending letters about once, you know, getting the arrears sorted. So financial difficulty motivates a seller. Uh, negative equity, we had a couple of negative equity at the time following the 2007-2008 crash. We'd just, got people who couldn't move. Just elaborate maybe on the negative equity, so somebody's maybe hearing that phrase for the first time because it's something we haven't heard for a long time, it is a, what, yeah. what that means. Um, so negative equity is where when somebody bought the house, let's say they bought it for 120, the market drops, Maybe because they're an owner-occupier, they had an 80, 85% mortgage. So maybe their mortgage is 100,000 and now the value of the property is 90. Mm -hmm. That means if they go to sell the property or the bank repossess, uh, if the bank only sells that for 100K, they're going to make 10 grand. Yes. Um, but what if in a down market, the banks have to do their duty and sell it for the best price. But in a market that is going the opposite way, maybe they only sell it for 80. So effectively, if the mortgage is 100, but the value is 90, whichever way you look at it, the person's going to owe the bank money even if they sell tomorrow. Yes. So there's more debt than there's the value. There's more debt than value. Yeah. And that, of course, means in that situation that even if they want to sell, they're keen to sell, they can't really offer any kind of discount because there's no scope for a discount. There's no scope for a discount. So we start thinking outside the box. Yeah. Um, so that was where, you know, option in a deal comes in because if, if they would give me 10 years, I would give them 110% of the current market value. 
So no, that means if, you, if, if they agree to sell to you, not take any money right now, and over a period of, say, 10 years, you would purchase that property, uh, and at the point of purchase, they'll end up with £10,000 more. They'd then... end up with £10,000 more, which, albeit in 10 years, yeah. they, they sit in a space that if they had the money today at market value, they would owe the bank 10000 in the example I gave. So how great would it be that I could go, I'll give you 110% of market value. So if it's worth 90, they're going to get nine grand. Yes. Because 90 will go to the bank, nine grand will go in their pocket. They sold today, nothing would go in the pocket and they'd be paying the bank. Yes, they'd be out of pocket. They'd be out of pocket. Yeah. So it was, you know, out of pocket is a problem. Uh, so negative equity, financial difficulties, can't afford the mortgage, want to go in the rental, but they can't rent while they've got a mortgage to pay. Well, if I can solve paying their mortgage for a while by effectively renting it off them with the right to buy, then they can move into a rental. I had customers where two couples had got together, two houses between them, uh, struggling to actually pay both mortgages. How great if I can pay one on a house they're not even using. Um, we had people who needed to get a bigger home because they'd had a family. You know, when you've got a couple that are in a one-bedroom or two-bedroom flat, they owe the bank money if they give up today, but they've now got two kids and not one. Solving their problem by giving them an ability to go and rent for a while um, while you look after their costs, yes. it solves their problem. Yes, babysitting the, Babysit uh, the death, mortgage. Death, yes, is the yeah. phrase that I'd come across. So let's then talk about uh, someone responds to an advert, you go out and see them. How do you how do you shift the conversation from I'm not going to buy the property just now, but I might buy it at some point in the future. But I'll resolve your problem. You kind of see where I'm going with this. How how do you position that to to or how do you transition that conversation? A lot of it is open questions. And I remember one of one of the ladies, a brilliant story. Um, hopefully, I'll get chance to say it while we're on the on this recording. But one of it is simply open questions. What, when, where, why, who, and how? So what would make this a deal that you could actually work with me on? Um, you know, where will you live if I buy this property? What will you do the money with the money when you sell? And by going into open questions and not assuming because uh, presumption is the worst mate, mistake you can make when you're selling, and you are selling when you are seeing vendors. By asking them what they need, how things need to work for them, where they will live, why are they selling, you start, when people have got motivation, they start to share with you what's going on. Now, I invested in the North at the time, so some people in the North, are, you know, they'll tell you their entire life story. But there were some that were a bit guarded. But for the main part, when you're asking open questions, they will share. And in those shares is the difficulty and the problems. Then all you've got to do is put your solution on top of that problem. Yes. Yeah. I, I tend to think about this when, we, when we're working with somebody that's keen to sell. Uh, ultimately, what we want to try and understand is what's driving this pain um, and how can we possibly resolve that problem for them but they're expecting somebody to turn up and look at the property and make them an offer. They're not necessarily expecting a therapist uh, that's gonna talk to them about their personal problems. So it's, it's having a nice transition into that. And something I know you, you do 
very well is understand that actually not all people are the same. There's different personality profiles. And so how do you, how do you consider how to have a conversation uh, when not everybody uh, interprets that information the same way? Some of that is understanding personality types and whichever personality system you look at, there's usually four types. Mm -hmm. Some of it is understanding body language and what people are saying. So if people are using words that relate to seeing, then they, they, their brain works in a visual sense. So repeating visual words to them, you resonate. So it's building rapport. You know, and if you're in any form of sales environment, again, looking at properties is sales. Yeah. You Just have elaborate, to build what, rapport. elaborate what you mean by sales, because somebody watching this might not understand how, how we're talking about selling when ultimately you're going to buy a property. You're selling yourself. Vendors have a choice in who they sell to. So when you are going out, you are selling your solution and yourself. You know, selling is not just about selling somebody a new car. Yeah. And when we go down the route of selling, it's drop the presumptions. What you will do is very different to what they will do. So you've, you need to understand their problem. And a motivated seller, it's a bit like, I always go back to something I taught in my corporate days in Beirut to a bunch of men. Being female, some of you will understand teaching a bunch of men in Beirut is actually a big thing to do. And the way I got them to understand this mindset shift was, you know, why do we put a nail in a wall? And some of them go to hang a picture. Uh, no, the nail doesn't hang a picture. Why do we drill a hole in a wall to put a screw in so we can hang a picture? At the end of the day, the ultimate thing they need is to hang a picture. Yeah. They don't need a nail or a screw in the wall. They want to hang a picture. You need to get to that level with your vendors. They are not selling because they necessarily want to sell. They do not necessarily want to sell their house. Yeah you've got to get to the bottom of what is it they need. And for some, the need has nothing to do with selling the house. It's the need to no longer be in trouble with the bank, the need to no longer be able to afford to put food on their table and pay the mortgage. The upshot is, is the solution will ultimately involve selling their house. Yes. But it doesn't have to sell right now today. Yes, So there's, and there can be two types of need, a need to get away from pain or a need to move to something else, yeah. to some kind of uh, pleasure. Yeah, and if you're wanting to do options, the people running to pleasure, in my experience, and everybody is different, but in my experience, the people running to pleasure, often lease options is not a tool that solves their problem. So I'll give you an example. If somebody's pleasure is to go to a bigger house, they likely need the money from their current house in order to fund that, so they they need the money now. Yes, they need they need the money from the sale of this one in order, order to do to the, the, to next, do the next thing. There is one running to pleasure, well, a couple of examples of running to pleasure that might work for an option. Somebody wanting to emigrate abroad to be with their kids or their partners, they are going to pleasure. They don't need the house, but they don't need the money now necessarily. Likewise, somebody downsizing, they're going to pleasure. Maybe they want a smaller garden, less house to look after, they're getting on a bit, whatever. Again, they're moving to pleasure rather than running from pain and therefore they might not need all the money now. But in both cases, whether they're emigrating or whether they're downsizing, the chances are they will need some 
of the money now to get them abroad or get their deposit on the smaller house. When you have people that are running away from pain, lease options 90% of the time can be an option. Doesn't mean they'll take that option, but lease options can be a solution to people who want to get away from financial problem. One client that I actually still own the property that I lease option from her, although we now own it, she had a partner who was being released from prison for armed robbery. Her pain was getting as far away from him as possible to the point where the police and the council had said that her only, her only real solution to basically not being at risk of life-threatening injury would be to move out of the county. That's running away from pain, that lease option is like, yep, yeah, that's a solution. Um, maybe they're running away from couples divorcing and they both decide they're gonna sell the house. They're running away from pain at the end of the day. So what I found is that people with problems that created pain, lease option was one of the solutions that would often motivate them to do a deal today that they might not earn any money from for the next five, 10, 15 yes. years. Ultimately, it's a case of they don't need the money from the sale right now, and they're prepared to be a little bit flexible in how the deal's put together ultimately it goes to resolving their problems. So the outcome they're getting, their problems being fixed. Yep. You're dealing with the mechanics in the background in terms of how that's going to uh, happen. And as the investor, the, the, uh, the potential buyer of that property, because you're not buying, you're taking control at that stage, um, how can we benefit from that then? Where's the, where's the benefit from you? So what I'm thinking about is there's a problem that needs to be resolved. And sometimes it's easy to take on that problem to free that person up from it. But how do we ensure that we don't end up with the problem ourselves? So part of that is doing your numbers, even on a lease option. And I had this funnily enough this week, people get very excited about options. And, you know, we put it in the bucket of creative strategies. It isn't, it's a creative tool that's part of a property strategy. So most of the creative strategies are either ways to finance a deal, way to get into deals, or way to get out of a deal, exit. They're not actually a type of vehicle. So a lease option is not a property. The property is still a three-bed semi that will either go to rent, HMO, to sale, or these days to SA. The option is a creative way of funding and financing the deal. So you have to drop the excitement of the option and understand that underneath that, you are still taking control of a property that you will ultimately buy. Yeah. It has to work. The numbers have to work because if the numbers don't work, you are just inheriting their financial yes. problem. Yes, you've got to make it work for, yeah. for you. And uh, I remember when I was very active in the, in the space of director vendor, motivated seller type marketing, similar to yourself, um, we'd we'd have conversation where people would be literally just giving you the keys because you're resolving their problem and I'd, I'd call it you're just collecting keys at that time but it's very easy to collect keys and then inherit the problem as well so you have to think ahead as you're saying about okay how, how are we going to monetize this how are we going to make this work so let's look at a situation where let's say somebody um a couple is divorcing they need to kind of move on with their with their life they both want to be away from each other as fast as possible uh, and you have a solution where okay look you know i can take uh, responsibility of this property and free you from its uh, from the day-to-day uh, -day headaches and running of this and at some point in the future we'll probably purchase um 
how does that translate in you then creating a, a profit for yourself there? So it, again, it's about the underlying project. So, you know, you might be having that property for three, five, ten, even more years. And divorce doesn't always work for the tool of lease option because if if one of those partners has to buy something else, then obviously that's going to create a need for some money. But if both partners are maybe moving in with somebody else or they're going to go to rental for a while or one partner's going to live with parents again, whatever, that it could be a solution. So you look at the property and you look at what work am I going to need to do on it? How much am I going to have to spend? Yes. What would I do to make income on that property whilst I control it? And then you make sure the numbers stack up during the option. You then also assume that its value doesn't grow because sometimes the current value of the property doesn't grow. And you work on the worst case. If I exercise my option and buy this deal when it still only has this value, will I make money? Yes. Now, sometimes the money you make might be in what you earn whilst you control the property. And when you sell, because you can sell without ever owning, maybe you just clear the debt for them and there's no extra pot for you. But if you've got that place for five years, you've got rent coming in. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if it, you know, you make sure your bases are covered if that property doesn't go beyond its current market value. Usually if we're doing some work, it will go up, but then the amount we've added has been spent in doing the work. The great thing I found, because a lot of mine at the time I turned into rentals, so just straightforward rentals, so we could get people in, do a basic refurb, but maybe it needed a new boiler, maybe it would be nice to have a new kitchen, We'd often do a basic refurb that got somebody in to rent because I was in, you know, I had a passion for helping low income people get in a nice rental property. And the brilliant thing with that is if somebody's on a low income, we could get grants for the boiler after they'd moved in. Right. We might get help towards doing the bathroom over time. So we could spread our refurb if the property didn't need anything major. So in the one where the lady had to get out, it was so funny because I turned up at the house and I've got five minutes to show you around and I'm following around trying to explain how I can help. But I realised that was probably the first time I realised solving their problem is actually what's going to get me more yeses. So I literally would give her two offers. I can buy it now for this or I could control it, rent it from you now with the right to buy in three years and give you this. And when their pain is such that the money that is in the property, if any, is a smaller issue than the pain they're in, they will often go for the longer term deal and get more money. Yes. So with that one, I offered her 70 grand now or 95 grand if she gave me five years to take the property. She only went for three, but it still worked. We didn't do the kitchen straight away. We had to replace the fireplace because the guy that came out of prison did come in and smash it up. So we replaced the fireplace, gave it a quick redecoration. We didn't even do the bathroom. In fact, I took that one on in 2011 and only last year did we redo the bathroom. Right. Um, and that, that was because it needed refreshing anyway. So we must have spent about five grand just tidying up that property and paying her two grand to help her move to where she was going. And we rented that property out and made a good 200, 300 pound a month for five years before we actually started to refinance. So I think we, we, she gave us 
I think she gave us three years. We refinanced, but left a bit of money in. And then two years later, refinanced again. And literally when we did the bathroom and re-rented it beginning of this year, that rent is now 750 and the mortgage is about 120. Right. So it's quite a sizable profit each yeah, month. Yeah, so some yeah. of them you don't have to refurb straight away. If your exit strategy means you can do things that need doing over time whilst you've got people in there renting the property. Yes. So you're either making money from the property because over time the values go up and we believe in this market, that's what happens, whether it's three, five, 20 years, whatever it might be. The long-term trend is the values are going to go up. And because you're controlling that property, that increase in value is yours. Just like if you had sold the property, you'd purchase it, that increased value is yours. Um, or you could force the value up by doing some kind of renovation as you're talking about just now. And you've got the rental income that you're taking on from the uh, property each month, depending on how you run it, whether it's family let, HMO, service accommodation, all these are going to create new income during that time. And you can also offer the deal and sell it to somebody else and charge yeah. a fee as well. So there's like four easy easy-ish ways for you to make money from there's, that opportunity. There's loads of it and you can, you know, there's actually a fifth way if you count the fact that when is a sale not a sale when you're not the vendor. So if you get an option and we do it as an assisted sale, so we're going to put the refurb in, we're never going to own that place, but we own the control, which means we can sell that property because we have control, but we're never the vendor, so we actually don't end up paying you know, there's certain savings we get by not having to buy it and exercise the option and we're just transferring. So I always see the exit of selling as a two way, as a two position exit. One is you can buy it, then sell it. So exercise your option and become the vendor. Well, now we're getting involved in certain taxes we might have to pay or we do it up, we never own it, and we just are the conduit getting a fee yes. for actually helping the vendor to sell it under their own name. Yeah, so under these creative strategies, that's probably my most favorite. Yeah. Uh, and essentially you're partnering with the owner to some extent, say, hey, look, we'll work together, we'll renovate the property, um, we'll get it sold, and you'll get the figure, whatever's been agreed with them, and you get your refurb money back plus profit as yeah. well. And often that return on investment can be very high because it's, it's like buying, renovating, and selling without the buying. Yeah. You're just doing the renovating and selling part, which is why the return can be, can be so high. Um, in this particular market that we're in right now, so we've seen the property market starting to soften a little bit uh, again. And one of the reasons I'm excited about these strategies and having these kind of conversations, because for a few years it went a little bit quiet. There wasn't as much of this kind of activity going on. What do you think is happening in the market right now that's making this the right time for these type of strategies or these type of techniques and control methods? I think the market is revaluing, yeah? The house prices aren't going down in the sense that they're going down, but they're not going down because prices are dropping. I honestly believe the market is revaluing. It got inflated artificially, in my belief, um, because of stamp duty holiday back in COVID time. Yeah. You know, the one reason they did that was to let first time buyers in. Within weeks, that stamp duty holiday, because it applied to more than first time buyers, priced them out of the market. Yeah. So we had an artificial inflation. We had this short-term desire for people to increase how many bedrooms they had so they could work from home. You know, there's, there's companies now saying, back in the office, guys, we're done. Um, so I think it's revaluing. So properties aren't losing money. They're going back to where they should have been at this point in time. But what that means is there's some people now, because of that fear in the market to owner-occupiers, 
vendors now, their properties are sticking a bit longer on the market. Estate agents for a long time overpriced properties thinking they could get away with it in a climbing market. Well, that's coming back and resetting itself. So, you know, there's been people promising a value that is just not there anymore. So you've now got motivated sellers who, you know, with the mortgage rates going up, with cost of living going up, we're back in that world of some people realising they need to be in a place where there's not so much debt. Maybe they've got more spare cash. So again, you're coming into the world where people, maybe now they're struggling to pay their mortgage again. Maybe they're paying their mortgage, but they're struggling to enjoy life because of the cost of living. And some people are now at the space of where they, they need to sell their house. They're not selling as fast in some places. And prices are still slightly higher than I think they should be had we not gone through that COVID cycle. So you being able to offer somebody the ability to cover their costs whilst you control the house and take their pain away from them, let them move on to what they need to do, if options is a solution, means you buy a little time for that settling to happen while you control the market. And it means you can strike a price that's on today's rates, knowing that if you get a three to five year or more option, history says the price will go back up again. And even if it doesn't, then what you've got is a rent to rent for a while to make some profit until you have to make the decision that you can either exercise the option or say, I'm really sorry, but the market's gone the wrong way. I can't do this. Uh, and I will say I've only ever walked away from one option deal because my belief is out of a value set, I go in with the intention to buy. I never go in with the intention of borrowing it for a while and then deciding will I buy or not. Um, and the only one I actually stepped away one from was because we found one of the owners and um, had basically not realised what he was signing. So even though it was all done with lawyers, um, it turned out his signatures weren't quite, they weren't quite in a space where he really knew what he was doing because he had some learning difficulties and that was never declared to the solicitors. Yes. So a couple of really interesting things I just want to pick up on that you, you mentioned. Um, firstly, some of these deals can sometimes go wrong and I've yeah. experienced that myself as well, having done quite a lot of these type of deals. And But then it becomes a numbers game. Yeah. Then you're not emotionally tied into this deal. It's a case of, well, look, you know, if I've done 50 of these and one of them goes wrong, it doesn't really matter too much uh, in the sense that you don't you don't realise your full profit from it. That's what we're talking about when we, we talk about it going wrong. Um, and then uh, also it's it's the the mindset of why somebody would uh, would do this so somebody might be listening or watching this right now thinking yeah i kind of get what you say but why on earth would somebody somebody do that why would somebody let you just have their house for the next few years and then just walk uh, walk away it can be quite a difficult thing to get your head around it's a hard thing to get your head around and i always when i'm mentoring the people i work with i go to something that is totally not to do with property because the problem is when we're out there being educated or we're doing properties and investment, we get stuck in it being a building. So I move it away from it being a building, you know. So you're asking why would somebody do this? That means there's a presumption and assumption. So I move it into why would somebody pay £400 for a pair of the booting shoes? Because a lot of people would go, I wouldn't do that. Yes. But people do. 
we know they do because the brand is still successful. Why would somebody pay, you know, hundred thousands of pounds for a special brand of watch? I wouldn't pay that much for a watch, but people do. So that is how I help people to understand, to get out of their own head. Because the minute you base what somebody would do on your own values is when you've made a presumption and potentially lost yeah. sale or a purchase in this case. And taking it out of the property helps, in my view, most people then get the light bulb goes on. Light bulbs don't go off, guys, they go on. Um, you take it out of it so they can get that light bulb moment. This is, ah, oh, I wouldn't do this but that doesn't mean the person I'm speaking to wouldn't. Yes, and the vast majority of people won't do this, but some will. A lot of people will. won't, some, some will. will. And it is usually related to the pain they're running away from. In most cases, I think that's a better motivator than pleasure. Uh, and occasionally you'll get a pleasure that is creating the motivation to do something like this. But if you think about a vendor and I don't know, maybe it's the background I grew up in. You know, I, I come from a, a, a normal mining family, get paid weekly. You know, sometimes at the end of the week as a child, mum wouldn't have enough money till payday. So maybe that helps me understand the sellers that I'm speaking to. And that doesn't mean all sellers don't have money. But what it usually means is when they've got a certain difficulty or a pain, that pain can be keeping them up at night that pain can be destroying the pleasure of their life. And until we can understand how pain can actually create a burden that people just want to get away from, we will always ask the question, why would somebody do this? Yes. Ask the question, if they're in enough pain or they have enough of an issue that means they don't need all the money now, ask yourself the better question, why wouldn't they? Yeah, because you're resolving the problem. I think I struggled a little bit with this myself at the beginning. Um, when I understood the concept, firstly, I'd go and try and force the concept of every situation, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It only works in certain situations, and you refer to it as like it's a tool, it's a technique, and it's like having a set of tools. You've got to make sure you're using the right tool for that particular set of circumstances. And then the, the, the other thing um, that helped me massively was thinking, okay, if we're sitting here, sitting across the vendor, having a chat with them, I should be focused on how can I resolve their problem? And if that's my primary goal, my primary objective, and the outcome I'm trying to achieve, then actually if there's a deal to be done, it's just going to fall in your lap. Yes. It's not going anywhere. It, and you're it, effectively, you know, by getting out of your own head and understanding your client, because they are a client, they're not a vendor. If you are a property investor, that person you're talking to is a client. You know, what's their problem? What do you have that solves the problem? How much is it gonna cost them? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, and at the end of the day, you know, although they're the seller, they're buying something from you and they're buying your solution or not when your solution solves their pain or creates a route to their pleasure, they will buy from you. But to buy from you, you need them emotionally invested. Yes. And you're not going to be emotionally invested if you rock up and the minute you walk in, you go, I don't want to buy, I want to option. Will you let me do an option on your property and pay you in 10 years? That's headspace. 
that will not get them emotionally because they can't see how that solves their problem. Yes. But when you rock up and ask them the question of what do you need to happen right now for this to be something we can work together on? And they say, I have to move. I have no money to pay for new furniture and my life is in danger if I stay here. And you offer them choices. Yeah, when you are offering choices to your client, you are in control of the negotiation. So I can buy it from you for this now, or I can look after it and cover your costs until three years down the road, and then I can buy it for this. It's all about solving their problem. And we don't go straight to that. The offer is the last thing. What I do is understand their pain and what they desire. My outcome is to get a property ideally for as little money down as possible. But once you set that outcome, you have to let go of what you want and understand what actions can I take that will be make it more likely for me to get my outcome. Well, when it comes down to dealing with vendors who need to sell, the action is to understand why they need to sell, what is their pain, what they're trying to get away from, and how does what you have to offer help that problem because when you solve that problem and create that win-win that's when you're more likely to find the deal that the tool of options actually applies to yes and it's that thing about people make decision based on emotion how they feel about the situation how they feel about you how they feel about the proposal how the whole thing makes them feel and then they'll justify it with logic yeah okay so why is this now the right thing to do and when we understand that, then we can go through that process with people. And not only that, when we understand ourselves in terms of how we work. So, for example, you mentioned often people going and thinking, right, uh, I, want, I, want, uh, I want the property. I don't want to pay for it now. This is how it's going to work. That's a very logical approach. Yeah. But actually, we need to understand the emotion first before we get to the logic. Um, the other th the thing you mentioned earlier was uh, rent to rent as a, as a phrase. How is that different or similar to when we talk about option and lease options and creative strategies? It's quite interesting because, I mean, I've always done, I mean, I've done lots of strategies in, in my, what, now 16 years of investing. Um, everything from, you know, creatively financing a project, lease options, to creatively exiting a project, splitting them, to converting buildings and creating more by adding value or more units. At the end of the day, to me, if we take rent to and we take options, they're actually the same species. And why I say that is this, if you get somebody who's willing to rent you their property, not to live in, but for you to do something else with it, either turn it to HMO, make it an SA, you are one question away from it becoming an option. And that question is, um, would you potentially give me the right to buy during the period of my rental? The vendor can say yes or no. Yeah. Likewise, if you've got an option where it turns out the option isn't the solution, um, because maybe they don't want, you know, some vendors will see that if you're going to take five years to pay them, just like you, vendors will know that potentially the housing market will increase and they might see that as a, well, no, I don't want it to do it for that price. But again, an option... A backstop or second exit is if somebody is considering an option and doesn't need the money now, often you can go, well, look, I get that the price I can pay you 
now isn't right and I get that the price I'm offering to buy it in five years isn't right. Um, you've already said you don't need the money now. Would you consider giving me a long-term rental? Mm -hmm. Now, as long as the exit is not just rent to rent as a normal buy to let and there is an exit for rent to HMO or rent to SA, you've just turned a potential option that wasn't going to move forward into a rent to deal. So they're the same species to me, both are one step away from the other. Yes, the way I tend to think about it is a lease option is a, a rental agreement, a long lease with a right to buy. And a rent to rent is essentially just a lease agreement without, without the rent the to right buy. Without the right to buy, yeah. Yeah, that's essentially same the Same species, yeah. And you know, um, you and I both know um, Shimon who, who is, understands this legally. And he always says that what a lease option is, it's two contracts, a rental agreement, and the right to buy. Yes, it's not one agreement. It's not one yes. agreement, it's two. A rent to, just like you say, doesn't have the right to buy, but it's one step up. It's adding another contract or going the other way. Somebody who's not really keen on the option, it's taking one contract away and moving it just to a rental. And on the legals, there's lots of different ways to do these and there's different contracts. For example, if you're controlling a property with the intention of, say, selling it on, there might be additional documents yeah. and things that'll be set up. And often the solicitors who understand this, who do this day to day, they can set all this up uh, yeah. uh, for you. Um, what's your thoughts on sitting in the middle in deals? So sometimes people call it a tenant buyer, uh, where effectively you found an opportunity like this. We could either sell it to somebody in charge of fee and walk away, or we could find somebody who's maybe looking to take that on as their home. So they effectively become the beneficiary of this lease option arrangement. And you either structure a deal or you sit in the, in, in the middle between these deals. Uh, I love it. There, are, it. there is a bit more legwork because you've got to understand that the tenant, who effectively is having a simultaneous set of contracts with the right to buy in a rental, you know, break their rental, they lose their right to buy. I love sitting in the middle because effectively you're making money knowing that you've already got a buyer at the end and there is still scope to make profit at the end as well. Um, and I've had two tenant buyers. One of them now happily owns the house that they were buying as they rented. That was really great. I, you know, I was making about £300 a month in profit during the rental phase, and when they bought, I still made 20 grand a profit on the, per on the sale. Um, the other didn't go so well, but made more money. So I love them because when they go wrong on the tenant buyer side, you can make more money. So I'll give you this specific example, which is going through the process of sale at the minute. A property was bought specifically for a tenant buyer. So we didn't do an option, we did buy, but that was part of the deal for an option on another property that the people wanting to move into the second property yes. gave us an option. So we got two properties. One we were optioning to do uh, effectively an assisted sale. The other was the vendor of that first property wanted this other property, couldn't afford it if we did an assisted sale. So that was easy. We'll buy this property and we'll give you a tenant buyer agreement so you rent it whilst you buy. Fantastic. Property was worth about 110000 but we did that on a mortgage that was a repayment. Uh, and the tenant buyer... The day the assisted sale went through, we'd already got the agreement that the one they were going to tenant buy off us um, 
they were going to put in 45 grand deposit. So they put in a 45 grand consideration fee, which actually covered the refurb on the property we made money on anyway. So it paid all of that back. And it was a repayment mortgage. And sadly, they failed to meet the terms of the rental agreement. And after a little bit of a, a battle in the sense of we had to serve section 21, we had to then serve section A, we repossessed the property. Lo and behold, although the property is selling for about 10 grand more than it was bought for, the mortgage on that property is now 70 grand less than the value of the house. Because they've been the, the monthly payments have been paying down the, the debt. The monthly payments, so there was the 45 grand that we utilised, which was obviously some of that went into the, the deposit for the second property, some went into the refurb for the first. Then they'd been paying monthly payments, or we have, because we, we were paying the mortgage. The monthly payments were reducing the capital but because they didn't meet their agreement, they couldn't take their right to buy. That had expired because they didn't fulfill their agreement. We now benefited from all the capital they paid over what ended up being a seven year period. Mm. And I think the thing with these types of strategies is that you can just be as creative as you yeah. want. It literally is like a blank piece of paper and say, right, okay, how can, we, how can we put something together that could work? And you can come up with as many ideas as you, as you want. Yeah. And the type of, uh, uh, tenant buyer type strategy we are just talking about, the ones that I've uh, done, I, I've essentially um, found the person who wants to take on this option agreement and then uh, put the deal together with the seller and put the two together and just charge a fee and, uh, and, and just walk away. And I guess with those, you could, you, you could charge a fee up front for them getting into the deal, which is what I'm referring to. Uh, you can make money on the rental profit in the middle, which was what you talked about uh, just now. And you can make a profit. The third part of the profit is when they purchase a property because you've got a difference between the two prices, yeah. and which is what you're referring to just now as well. So there's there's so many different ways to make money from the same deal. So many ways, which is why you can't just pick up an option contract and copy it. That's dangerous. Yes. And uh, so in, in, like we said, in this market right now, it seems to be the perfect time. There's a lot more people keen to sell, trying to sell, can't sell, which creates the right environment for these type of strategies to be much more prolific uh, in this environment. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it's maybe we've got a year, maybe two years tops in this type of environment. Then I think the market may change again. The market may change. And I mean, at the end of the day, the market is always changing. You know, the market is never right for everything. But as the market changes, it will be right for something. And it's, you know, being a professional property investor is accepting, control it when the market's in the right space for what we do. Accept we can't control everything and know the difference between the two. So, you know, for, I did lease options for several years and then the market shifted. I, I stopped doing lease options for a while in the middle because the market wasn't right. But now I'm doing rent to deals um, and with all of them, I, you know, I will either during that rental process as I'm negotiating the rental or during the time of having the rental, I will always ask for the right to buy because if that vendor says yes, you've yes. now got yourself an option, but you already now have moved them from pain mm. to pleasure. So when you throw in a bit more pleasure on top that says, I'll buy your house if you give me the right to buy it, you're already covering their costs. Yeah. They're already making a profit from the rent you pay them. You know, is that going to make it the best option deal ever? No, because on an option deal, we don't usually pay above the rental value. We pay to cover what their costs are. On a rent to, you're going to be paying above what their costs are. They're going to make some money. 
How great is that? You've got a potential vendor that's making money from you already. They see the gain. Now you're offering to buy it off them three years down the road. Yes. Uh, Tracy, I really enjoyed this uh, conversation that we're having. I really appreciate you taking the time out to not only share your knowledge, but also some of your uh, journey as well and the, and the deals you've been doing. What's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect to you? What's, what's your preferred method? Uh, well, you can reach me on Facebook. I think I'm the only Cartland hyphen ward on there. Um, benefit of having a fairly unique name or if you go to witchproperty.com spell as in wicked witch you'll find a contact us page you'll find a way to get in touch but facebook is the best way to get hold of me excellent thank you so much tracy really You're appreciate welcome. it thanks for thank having you. me